Welcome to Creative Codex. Right now, you're listening to the sweet sounds of East Williamsburg in Brooklyn, New York. I'm on my way to meet Clinton King. He's a contemporary painter who's at an exciting point in his career. Having exhibited around the country and even in Japan, he's developed a painting style uniquely his own. Clinton is a really insightful thinker, so I want to pick his brain a little on the subject of creativity and the art industry as it stands today. I also want to understand how he developed his distinctive style of abstract painting. Coincidentally, we are meeting on a day when New York City is in full heatwave mode. I just heard the news say residents are encouraged to stay indoors as a heat dome blankets the area, whatever that is. So far, we are at 97 degrees Fahrenheit and counting. Hey! I should paint that number out. It's like... You say what? It happens every single time. <laughs> well, it looks like an entrance. Yeah. It's got oh, some, man, got some nice AC drip on me over there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Cool. If at any point in the conversation you hear a machine humming type sound, that's coming from the AC. As I mentioned, New York City is in heat wave mode. I like uncomfortable chairs. Are you going to sit in this one? I was going to sit in this one. You can sit in this one. I don't, I don't like feeling comfortable sometimes. Really? It doesn't help me think. Relax. Yeah, I, like. <laughs> I can sit on that drum stool. You'll go to sleep on that one. Right. And quick note, while setting up the mics, I spilled some of my matcha latte on his art studio floor. Sorry, Clinton. And that's where our conversation begins. Without further ado, Clinton King. Is there a napkin so I can clean that up? Don't worry about that. What? It's the least worst thing that's been on this floor, trust me. <laughs> it's actually the healthiest thing on the floor right now. <clears throat> Wonderful. It's, it's, <laughs> it's airy and give us this good energy. All right, so I'm sitting here with Clinton King, contemporary artist extraordinaire, um, <laughs> who's exhibited in New York City, Chicago, Tokyo, among, among many other places. And he's uh, invited me into his studio in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. So thank you for that, Clinton. Um, welcome to my podcast, Creative Codex. Yeah, well, pleasure's mine. Thank you for coming. Technically, this is East Williamsburg. Is it East? <laughs> oh, well, I yes, mean, I think right. you know. Originally, True. Bushwick was where Bushwick Avenue mm. was. That's sure. the beginning of Bushwick. I guess the real estate changed the name so the real estate can go up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they just pushed the real estate. They just pushed it all Brilliant. over to the street. I guess genius. Yeah, genius. <laughs> So it's improper to call it Williamsburg? No, it's East, it's East Williamsburg. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then if you just go a few blocks, you're in Bushwick over there. Gotcha. Yeah. Bridgewood over there. There you go. Uh, geographical lesson. Real yeah. estate lesson, really. Yeah, probably for, more like that. For non-New Yorkers. Yeah. So part of my inclination to want to sit down with you and speak, uh, I have some hidden motives. Oh. Well. One of them is that anytime we've had a conversation, it's, it's always very insightful, and um, I always walk away feeling I, I've learned some things. And so it gives me the impression that um, I'm, I assume you're smarter than me. <laughs> oh, or I'm just 
better at making you think that. <laughs> oh, I'm which, just better at words. Either way, yeah. I, I guess it's a some, something to be respected. So yeah, I wanted to kind of sit down with you and, and hash out some things uh, creatively, and also just to understand your art more. But yeah, that's that's some of where I'm coming from with those. Yeah. Well, oh, you're an artist as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I started with visual art since high school yeah, and then transitioned yeah, into music. Good. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but you can still draw, don't you? Yeah, no, I still do ink illustrations. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, yeah. But what got you into, um, not, to, not to interview you here. No, it's be, cool. But you've been drawing since high it's school. A conversation. Yeah, you've been drawing into high, since high school, and you've kind of got these black and white drawings which have their own sort of, sort of history, like the ink, black and white mm. ink drawings. Mm. You know, they're graphic often. They're a little, you know, they have a little dark, little yeah. gothy sometimes. I've seen your drawings. They're, they're, uh, they're uh, complex, right? But I mean, you're also making music, which is also sort of electronic music, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, your own practice as an artist is going to be your music and your art, all that's connecting, correct? I mean, not really in my brain. We can get into that. I mean, yeah. it's connected in the sense that it's a creative pursuit. Um, and it just so happens to be in the project that I've been working on, uh, the art informs the music and vice versa. But it's almost like a different hat for the creative process. The creative process. It's yeah. Like, it's what it's all about. I've been thinking right. about it since you've asked me to come in yeah. and talk. I was like, hey, you know, to talk about just the creative process, that, you know, how many, I mean, how long these batteries going to last in these mics? Because, I mean, we really, you know, would be what is it? Right. Well, that's that's, that's the it? problem, right? Yeah. That's that's the problem we face, and um, it's a question that's been on people's minds. I feel like for thousands of years. I mean, that's the whole idea of the the Greek muses is is is, a, is trying to address the problem of the origin of insight. Right. It's, it's just like where are these ideas coming from? They're not mine. They don't feel like mine, and yet they they come down to me. Right. Well, this is this is interesting because there's tied up in the act of being creative and especially these you know modern times maybe not maybe beyond but there's this always this idea of creative genius mm. what you know this idea this notion of genius of creative genius but also there's this idea of like you can there are many lectures on youtube and online and people like uh, was i was just lecture i was listening the other day just about the origins of creativity and Sure, people want to link it. It's linked to linguistics. It's going to be linked to you know, people studying anthropology and trying to find those first instances of when a creative event happened. Mm. Some people want to link it to to rational thought, you know, or or concepts. But I mean, you can go further, way further back. I mean, sure, what, absolutely. We, I've been to. Forget. Uh, uh, I asked my wife. We we went to when we were in France. We went to. This cave. Chauvie Cave? No. RC Secure. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, in Bur it's near Burgundy. It's one of the older caves. It's not like Glasgow, but it's, there's some evidence that that goes back 60,000 years. Sure. Because most time, we, we, I guess most people assume that, assume, you know, of course, this is being questioned all the time, that, you know, 50,000 years is kind of when this whole thing started. Mm. You know, of course, now with, some of the new findings we're getting in Turkey and things, uh, you know, it's being challenged. But 
those and when you go back into those the cave and you look at those cave drawings, right, went the, way back there, right, the paintings, them. yeah. What were they doing way back there? What are those things? Right. What you know they had meaning. You know that absolutely. And yeah. I, you know, everyone has a hypothesize what that could mean or why it was way back there and not in the beginning of the cave or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was it a initiation ritual or something where you sent a young kid back there to look at them or did he have to make one I don't think that's probably the case because they were all sort of consistently good yeah you know? that's true right yeah. like there it, must have it been looked a, like there was talent involved yeah. in the interpretation of the physicality of the animal well you could argue that all creativity I mean, what, is, what does it mean to create at all mm. there you go into tool making and you're going to go into the first rational think r- rational thoughts if you want to call them rational but I mean are you know pine trees not creating pine cones mm. you know I mean we create life is creating all the time even if it's not alive yeah there's this like creative process so obviously we're part of that much much larger right. you know, creative process I mean right. it goes back to the first creation mm. you know I mean so if we're, you know, like a, mac- and a little mi- microcosm of the macro, obviously right. that, cre- that, that creative process has been there since the beginning. As it just gets filtered into, like, our rational thought, our development of our brain, development of our language, development mm. of our bodies and hand-eye coordination and throwing and everything. And of course, then we're getting into, into realms of, like, thought, hmm. language, hmm. verbal, inter- visual language. Hmm. I've been reading somewhere, I wish I had, like, taken notes or something, but where just mimicry was probably the origin of spoken language, you know? Mm. Like somebody, I think he just like did a jagged line, he had a word, and he had like a squiggly line and a word. He said, which word, like, whoa, whoa, looks like that. Which one, kaka, looks right. like this. Obviously, the kaka looks jagged, and the whoa, whoa, whoa looks circular. Sure. So just, you know, like the word, oh, it, your mouth makes a circle. Circle, right, you know? sure, there's Mom, a mim- mom, mimicry, I you know, see what ma- you mean. Like mama. Right. You know, it means food and mother in Japan, you know? Mm. And we say mama too. Mm. It's the, probably the first word a baby makes. Right, one of the maybe the easiest for the mouth to form. Well, just that, that idea you um, quickly went through, I think is, is a profundity in that to explore, which is that humans, um, through creative process, are, you were saying, the microcosm of the macrocosm. It's like, uh, as we grow in further complexity in our brain, we're becoming more of a, of a mimic of the universe itself in that sense like so maybe low we'd say like you know just for argument's sake lower animals even though they you know they don't deserve any less respect than than humans but lower animals don't have the complexity of the brain and so their perhaps creative acts are really rudimentary and very basic and we would just call them just automatic processes of survival and then as our brains develop this complexity we start to find even more similarity to like what the universe is doing because yeah. we're becoming more complex and hence yeah. a more complex thing ends up doing these kinds of things. Well, I mean, you've seen videos of those dolphins blow those bubble rings and cut them and make smaller bubble rings. And oh, really? Shoot bubble through another bubble. Have you oh, seen yeah. them do this? I mean, <laughs> dolphins are incredible. But this is like play. It appears to be like play. You know? Right. So there's like a, I guess that's, an, that's the delineation I was sort of hinting at earlier. There's like creativity just for the sake of creativity and play. Yeah. And then there's, of course, I think the complexity that you, you spe- you're speaking of about humans, I think it's you know, more than likely, I think you'd probably agree, just because communication between other humans has gotten so complicated, civilizations have gotten bigger, more different. Mm. I mean, you know, if you read uh, Jared Diamond's book, you know, Guns, Gerbs, and Steel, 
I know of it. It's it's kind of, it like, talks about how, like, you know, from east to west, the temperature is sort of the same, mm. you know. But from north to south, like, you can't take a plant from north and plant right. it down south. Mm. You can't take a domesticated animal from up north and move it easily down south, mm. you know. So a lot of civilizations didn't communicate this way, but, like, the Silk Road goes east to west for a reason, mm. because these things could be traveled easier and, you know, yeah. kind of somewhat temperate. You know. Right, the climates are similar right. enough. But in doing mm. that, we, we came across all kinds of cultures. Mm. Oh, language is a barrier. Trading was a barrier. And I think, you know, like, look at, like, cuneiform or linear A and linear B. These, these kind of earlier, early writing systems, they were, you know, they were very simple at first. You yeah. These means sheep or something, and he owes me, like, 20 sheep. You know? Right, right. And it, I turn it upside down, that now it means, like, you know, he owes me this many pelts or something. So, I mean, then... It, we just became so. I mean, look at our phones. How far we've come with our, how complex our communication is between yeah. other people. Is that sure? Our art is probably going to reflect. I mean, look at look at the Renaissance. Who was the biggest funder of, you know, artists at the time? It was the church. Mm. You know, I mean, all the great works were usually canonized. You know, right. I mean, although also at that time it was a unique moment in history where uh, noble families and, and merchant families started to fund the art. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, like yeah, yeah. especially in in, in, in uh, I think Amsterdam and places like that where you have wealthy merchants were so wealthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah where the art yeah. was no longer strictly just religious. Yeah. For funding's sake, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole thing you could I've heard, and of course there's lectures you can listen to about. The artist's name, that it, you know, when the artist mm. became an individual and the signature, mm. you know, yeah. like back in the you know 16th century and mm. before that maybe in the 15th century, but yeah. Anyway, we're going on, just going to randomly go right. No, no, again, well, yeah, yeah, again <laughs> the complexity of creativity—it's so complex and simple. Babies do it, <laughs> you know. I mean, like, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of his name. Oh, it was a lecture I was listening to a while back, and he was talking about like you know. You put music on a baby, will kind of bob his head up and sure, down. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Now, I mean, you can train your your cockatoo to do that, and right. maybe you right. can train your dog. You can train your right. dog to kind of, you know, sing. And you know, dogs will sing, you know, or at least howl. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's not the same thing. We're way off the charts when it comes to yeah. hum- humans. Our, our ability, propensity to- for it. Yeah, like my my daughter, she'll. Uh, she's. It seems she's very musical. I mean, she's the only child I've ever had, which I guess nothing to compare to, but. In the private moments I have with her in the car or wherever, um, she'll start inventing songs and just like singing them, usually with whatever's going on at the time or something in her mind that happened recently. And she's just singing it, singing it, singing it. And then if I start paying attention to her too much or if I like start singing along, she gets really upset. <laughs> she goes, mm, don't <laughs> sing my song. And I'm like, whoa, okay, okay, chill. All right, I just, I just thought it was like a really beautiful, cute thing you're doing. But it's, it's without, all hers. It's hers. Without, yeah, it's without. It's right. It's all hers, and it's maybe a, a creative act that um, it's almost like this idea of when something truly magical is happening, and the idea is you're not supposed to talk about it or call attention to it because it ruins it in some way. Yeah. It taints it. So it's like almost like the the, the birth of the creative process is kind of like that. It's it's a, it's a very personal thing, and if like. You, you you call attention to it, it becomes self conscious, and then it like stops. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's yeah. Mm. Especially, I mean, look, it's monetized now. I mean, artists are originality. The signature is a very important thing. Mm. It's about the individual. I don't know how long it's been like that. Right. 
and of course, like my wife, Julie Curtis, she's also an artist, and she's, from, she's French. She showed me this. We're watching it. It's a, uh, I don't want to murder the name of the show, but it's basically somewhere in Burgundy they're making a castle from scratch. Hmm. Doing it, they're making the lime, they're doing they're cutting the stone, they're all the wood. They're just like see what a modern day castle everything. takes. They're doing kind of? everything okay. from scratch, and you realize, you know, way back, uh, one guy did one thing. Hmm. He maybe did a couple things aside, but everyone sort of had like stuck to their like trade. the tiler. You know, the right. tiler just made tiles. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a stone cutter just you know, cut stones. Yeah. 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 The, right. You know. The, you know. You got like the word fisher and weaver, and his last names came from the basket weaver and the guy hmm. who did the fish. You know. Yeah. His last name Tyler probably came from the guy <laughs> who made tiles. But I mean, when it comes to, again in the history of art, of course, there's so many different histories of art. You know, yeah. That. You know, I think back again when the wealthy merchants were, were purchasing these things, you were sort of with money and with excess time. Yeah, you, you did get the creation of the, of the individual, the, the creation of the signature with creativity. Hmm. Like he does that one thing, that one way. You know, or look most, the highest quality. Like all that gilded stuff. Like, what's the point of that? It right. just showed more time and work was in something. It was more valuable that way. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, that gets into like the, the, the idea of, of value of gold as a symbol, right? I mean, that's part of, I think, the use of, of gold and gilding. But, but yeah. yeah, the idea of the signature is, is a really interesting idea. Yeah. Um, where, well, where at some point artists assumed a role of like a pedestal where it was no longer integrated into just general life or, or culture or, you know, it's like the Native Americans who designed their, their, their beautiful pouches and... Um, they're weaving. They didn't sign, you know, the the weave on the bottom, you know. Right. Uh, it, they it just didn't have that. I guess they didn't need it. They didn't have the art world as we've made it. Right. Is it the the commodity of the artist that creates the need for a signature? I um, mean, you could probably take it back. Or is it the individualism? Y yeah, you'd probably take where did individual and, and you know. That's also Western thought. I think it probably comes. It's from, very Western thought. It comes it's, from from Christianity. I was going to say it's like the idea of Christ practically. It's like yeah, yeah. The individual who ventures into the desert alone, right? It's yeah. about solitude. I mean, but Buddha did the same thing, but um, yeah. But there's the sort influence. of a there's a, there's a difference of the ego and the individualism in, in Buddhism is different. Hmm. But the individual's relationship to God, the individual's relationship to society, these things, I think. The inalienable rights of the individual; these will come out of Christianity, and I think, mm. of course, would lay the foundation of what would later become the individual in the Western sense. Well, I mean, think about all these concepts we're, we're kind of talking about when it came to contemporary art and modern art. Mm. I mean, Warhol was probably the guy that did it. He like he sort of put the final nail in, it, in my opinion. Right. He took it to a, like a new extreme it had never gone to. It's like an Ouroboros. It just swallowed itself up and he mm. said, I'm going to become the act of becoming. Mm. I mean, Richard Prince has done things like that in regards to what Andy Warhol did which was much more quiet, you know, talking about that. He's doing it. He did it with his girlfriend, girlfriends and he did it with his Instagram in a different way. But Warhol was so direct about it. I mean, his idea of like starting interview magazines so we can get closer to celebrities so we could photograph them. Mm. I mean, just the idea of celebrities already being stars or everyone they're like being like you know, projections of what we want to be right. as personalities, as individuals. He was, you know, capturing them and becoming his, his own celebrity. 
Right, and through like, that. Through that, you know. Mm. He was, you know, using the medium. I mean, if, if, if Andy Warhol did highly realistic oil paintings of people, it wouldn't work. <laughs> because, I mean, he's using the medium of that time, which is the, the printed the printed media. Mm, right, we, we, right. We, we, we read all these languages of stars and the newspaper and all the things we're seeing in, in printed media. So the mm. screen print was the most logical conclusion. It was fast, it was multi-produced. He was just like everything about him, he was, he was doing it right. Hmm. You know? Interesting, interesting yeah. way to look at it. He, he gets a lot of flack from people who get into art and just you know, people who don't understand, I guess, all the different um, movements of art. Yeah. As like, just lame or a cop out or... Oh, no, not at all. I mean, stuff, it's yeah. funny to think that minimalism was happening at the same time pop art was happening. Hmm. I mean, I could kind of see them parallel. Well, there, or you could you could uh, you could see one as a reaction against the other. Right. It's like they're both like minimalism is if there's a removal of all that's unessential. Right. Like just just that reading of minimalism by itself, you know. And when you read what Sarah was saying about Morris, or you know, kind of even the arguments within minimalism, like. Or Carl Andre or Richard Serra saying, "Hey, it's 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 solid metal all the way through. It's pure. There's nothing added. You know, it's mm. this core tin steel, doing what it does. It, the artist arrangement is very minimal into it. You know, it's just yeah. about the material study. But then Robert Morris was still making boxes, and he said, you know, these are hollow. Mm -hmm. You know, but at the same time, this idea of removing all this unessential, it was also bringing the end of you know, like you could walk onto a Carl Andre sculpture. That was a big deal." Oh, that you could? That you could step oh, onto Oh, I didn't know it. you could, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could step onto them, yeah. Mm. Uh, like the floor of zinc and the copper plates. You know, that was doing something engaging the individual's presence with art. Because, you know, how many times do you touch a work of art in a museum? Right, very, you don't. Very, very you rarely. You're thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. I've done it. <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I pissed in the urinal. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, I mean, at the same time, you could argue that pop art was about excess. Right. It was also about self-realization, if you look at it in terms of, terms of Warhol. Mm. Like, do you ever read the, the philosophy of Andy Warhol, that book? No, I haven't yet. I, I might when I need to do a narrative on him. Like, he, yeah. the end of the book says, like, someone, he's, like, in a shopping, mar shopping mall with someone, or, you know, mm. like, a Macy's or something. And someone said, you know, I've got to go get a new diamond or buy a diamond. He says, why do you want a diamond for? He goes, don't you know diamonds are forever? And he said, forever what? <laughs> like, Really? It's pretty empty, right? You know, it's really the whole thing. But you know, he he does he a lot. Got of, it. He, he knew a, what he was yeah, doing. He, he was yeah, very he was, aware of, of what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah he manipulating the image. Yeah, there was removal of all that's unessential in Andy Warhol as well. Is what I'm trying to get at. Right, 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 right. Because right, right. what really is essential in this whole stardom business? Mm. You know. Yeah, it's a curious question. Yeah, uh, but I, I think that it's it's always a, a fun one to explore. When you were a kid or a teenager, uh, what did you want to be when you became an adult? Um, my grandma had given me a microscope, and I really, I looked at everything under that thing. Yeah, under the microscope, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, and I thought, oh, I want to be a science, scientist. When you were um, kid. a kid? Yeah, I wanted to be a scientist. What did you see under the microscope? Oh, did I remember I took a cicada, and I took a cicada wing. And I put that under oh, there. Oh, that's beautiful. That yeah. must have been really nice to I see. Put, uh, I put, I didn't understand at first cause that you had, to, you had to be able to see through things. I remember I tried bugs and things and it didn't work. Mm. I remember I took a tiny squashed mosquito and I put it under there. Mm. I could see that. I spit in it, you know. Were you able to see down to the level of 
I guess cellular or, or well, it came like it came with ready-made thin sliced like objects like bark specimens and cell specimens. And things, yeah. So I saw that first and I understood. Okay, boy, whatever this is, it's very small, hmm. you know. But I remember I took a piece of my skin under it, hmm. you know. But I remember I wanted to investigate things, but yeah. That's like a tiny version of everything, right? And then I remembered I wanted to get a telescope, which I have a telescope now, but yeah. uh, I really wanted to go big then. I wanted to see all the stuff far away, you know, all the big stuff. Still through a tiny but, lens, though. Yeah, through a tiny <laughs> lens. But I did. I wanted, to be a, I wanted to be that for a long time huh. until I think uh, I realized that I couldn't do math very well. <laughs> That's what it was, really? Yeah, I went to a physics class in school. It was like on accident, and... Uh, he put a problem on the board the first day, and I, I kind of intuitively understood why it wouldn't work. Huh. And then he asked, like, class, you know, why wouldn't this work? And then I said, well, I think it's because of this. And he, and he was like, well, yeah. As we got to talking to the second class, he's like, you know, what's your math level? Because he said, I, I think you're in the wrong class. And I told him, you know, I, I'm actually having trouble with math right now. Yeah. He said, I think you're going to have trouble with this class. Oh. And I thought, wow, that kind of sucks because it looked funner than the other classes. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, I, physics I always thought was more fun than chemistry, for sure. Yeah, yeah, physics is great. Yeah, I just, I didn't have a very good school, and I think I convinced myself I was, I couldn't do that it. That it's not going to happen. Yeah. Huh. I, and then, you know, when it came to art, I just got into art when I was a kid. I, I just always drew, and uh, my art teacher was the first to notice it, and yeah, I, that's kind of where it started. I had a friend, Jason Warford, he's about my oldest friend when we were kids you know there's clay everywhere right where I grew up we just took chunks of it and we, we would sculpt things out of it yeah. you know, with sticks in it and everything kind of hold it up and I remember thinking that felt so good doing that felt yeah. very yeah, yeah. Oh. so I guess art's always the creative process has always been there with me although I often I like to read and I love I love science and I like philosophy and I think probably love that more in science now philosophy and history mm. you know, theology is a fascinating subject mm. Yeah. Just the, the idea of the um, you staring into a microscope and seeing that level of things, uh, before even knowing that element of, of your childhood, like looking at uh, some of your work, um, I got the sense of um, looking at things on a molecular level, basically. Wow, you know, I guess I, like, I you know, you, as you're talking to me, my painting's behind you, and it's like, yeah, there, there were... Like, there's like an excitement to it, there's like a life to it, there's like occasionally things that look like chromosomes and mitochondria yeah, moving yeah. around and yeah there was a there was a slide now that i think about it, there was a slide i don't know what it was but it some cellular thing that would have it would have been similar to that i guess i i think these new new paintings do have a lot to do with micro macro i, I didn't hmm. do that on purpose but i mean the variation in the size of the stroke and of course the boundaries of the painting are hmm. kind of like a slide I didn't want to paint that. It's like when sure. Motherwell, someone tried to get Motherwell to say, or Franz Klein, are you painting bridges? No, I'm not <laughs> painting bridges. But uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that's what this is, but you could definitely find a, a parallel there. Right. It's like, it's like a, right. You can't say that that's exactly what something ever is. Because things are often conceptual abstractions of, of things that maybe you yeah. reacted to in some way, right? And then. Well, reacted, reaction is a big one. Yeah. Take Solowit, for example, as an artist I'm very familiar with. Some people would think, 
Are you familiar with how Solowit came up with his ideas or what? His no, no, I'm not as familiar. I, I'm honestly, in terms of uh, conceptual and abstract art, I'm almost a neophyte. Like, so feel That's free. Great. To, That's great. Feel free to explain things uh, as much. I'm, and I'm sure as, as uh, people listening is, might be bold, as well. This is bold of me to try to sum up Solowit. Sure. Imagine a square. He breaks it in. He just puts a cross in the middle of it. So now you get four, right? Mm. And he just put like a horizontal line right down the middle. And then he put a vertical line on the other one. A horizontal left to right, and another horizontal right to left. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Okay, there's there's sort of like the key. So how many variations of change do you have within those? What if I put number one, the color red? Mm. Number two, you know, the color blue. You know, and what if I add the color, you know, black in there? You know, red, yellow, blue. Primary colors plus black. Mm. How many variations are there?" Until you exhaust all of its possibilities, right? Almost, yeah, and, almost infinitesimal. Well, not yet, but mm. that 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 particular one had very few, you know, had a, a number of things before it exhausts itself. So it has like a natural math, the way math has its mm. natural exhaustion point within a problem. Well, what happens when you add like two lines, or then you add that variations within a box? So maybe you have right. like eight variations possible. Then you add one more, one more variation in it. Mm. Now it's you got much more. Much, many more variations, you know. Yeah. So, so he was working like, like kind of like this exhaustion of the idea within a certain parameter that he set. Right, right. Like he a didn't visual do that same algorithm. Thing. Yeah, visual algorithm. Yeah. Now, I mean, some of them when he, in the '90s and you know, when he, towards the, his later work, the boundary was just the wall itself. Mm. You know, so you would sort of work within that boundary. I mean, that's painting, right? There's always a boundary within yeah. painting. And I mentioned this before in another previous interview, but. You know, I used to, I temporarily was working for Solowit for a while doing mm. wall drawings. That was really what brought me back into wanting to put limits on things. Mm. Because, you know, the creative process is vast. It's open. And some people can, can do an open creative process very, very well. they always transforming, always changing. That doesn't always mean the work is good. Right. You know, <laughs> they may have some great masterpieces in that. Some artists have been doing it. I mean, look at Ross Blechner. Mm. You know, uh, great painter, friend of mine. He's, you know, look at his book. Look at how much variation is in that. Do you have, are you going to like everything? You're going to like the Chandelier paintings? I don't. Some people don't, you mm. know. But, you know, he, he, he produced a vast array of work. I mean, it shows he's just on the, he was on for years writing the wave of creativity so much variation and in that he came up with like the bubble paintings I mean he's done so many types of paintings there's other artists that have done the same thing for 50 years right 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 you know so I mean there's is it all all uh, you know, that's all creative it's all in the process the question would I have made this painting would it look like that if, if we weren't in the digital age like a hundred years ago right <laughs> I mean, of course, this is just oil and linseed oil on a canvas. I mean, anyone in the history of painting could have made this painting. Sure. In right? theory, sure. In yeah, theory. Absolutely. In theory. At the same time, Phys the physicality of it. But at the same time, 200 years ago, no one could have painted a Corvette. Yeah. Right? It yeah. wouldn't have That's made. different, though. Because <laughs> there is no image in this. So, I mean, you could, of course, you can't paint a Corvette. It's not there. This is just a technique. This is just like Solowit, back to Solowit. It's like, okay, put it this way. E equals MC square. Now, did, did, did Einstein invent that? No. Mm. He discovered it. Eventually, somebody would have figured it out. 
Right, you I could, think so too. You, yeah. you could argue that within some realm of similarity, somebody would have figured out Solowitz's concept of exhaustion of, sure. of a given parameter. All, I think all great ideas um, happen concurrently around yeah. the world. Like more than one person usually starts to have that same yeah. insight in the same time period. Like Jeff Koons and Kitsch mm. in the marketing. You know, that at one level, we all love kitschy, sentimental shit or we hate it. You right. know? But I mean, to own it, when Jeff says he loves that stuff, when you're looking at a, at a, at a bear, you know, mm-hmm. or who's to say he doesn't? Like his, his uh, kittens, I mean, they're, they're amazing. I don't care what you think. I mean, but I mean, if you don't like kitsch and you don't like, you know, cheese ball, ornate, you know, then sure, that's fine. That's fine. You don't like Jeff Koons. You don't like the balloon dogs. It's, mm. it's cheesy. I understand. I understand. The Play-Doh. Hard to hate. But I mean, if you hate the Play-Doh, you know, there's <laughs> giant stacks of Play-Doh. is in bronze. And they're, they're, come on. They're amazing. But I mean, again, what he's, what he's saying, what he's doing as a concept mm. is, sure, eventually, like Warhols, maybe somebody would never have done it like Warhol. They would never have done it like Koons. But you would have to start commenting on, on the contemporary society. That's what artists do. Right, right, right. They right, are right. just a product of... Of everything around them. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think so. A good, I mean, at least a good artist or a relevant artist, in a sense, in their lifetime, is usually a product of their time. Relevance. There's a good. There's a good thing. Yeah. Because I mean, anyone can add to the Clint collection. Right. Kissing, decorative kissing people. Sure. Sure. Do we need any more Clint's in right. this world right, right now? Right, no. Right, no, right. we don't need it. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we do. I don't know, but I, I, I'd say no. I mean, yeah, there are people that can paint like a Renaissance painter right now. Sure, yeah. Okay. They can do it perfectly. There's people in China that are going to reproduce all of the works of the Renaissance to a T. Yeah. Yeah. The question is, you know, we can almost tip that bar too far now Mm. when things are too relevant. Is that possible? Too relevant? Too relevant. Mm. I think a lot of really bad political art would fall into that category. Right. I mean, I guess there's an extreme to everything, I guess. Yeah. You can, yeah. Always, you can always define it that way. So, so you grew up in Ohio, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. At least in Countryside. Your, your formative years. Yeah. I cut my teeth in the trees. Yes. <laughs> was, there, was there any art around you? Was there anyone in None. your family or, or people you knew uh, who were like, oh, that guy's doing something weird and interesting? What's up with that? Is it, it's funny. I've never really told many people this. No, I never had any art books. There was a medical book that had a naked girl in it. Mm. I looked at that. That's big. Yeah, but it was a drawing, you know, and it, like part of her was opened up, and I could see the drawing. Oh, and oh drawings. that's the beginning of like a serial killer life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember uh, also my grandma had like a puffy couch, mm. and there was a painting on the fabric of the couch, like a hand painting, like a. It was like a, of a barn. Okay. It was like a. A, a photorealistic painting of a barn, but like it was printed sentimental, on it. printed on the printed cloth. On the fabric. Okay. And I remember copying that. And then oh. my other grandma, she had, you know, those metal trays that you know you used to put your food on sit to, in front of the kid, where you'd sit on the TV. It's sad, sure. but you know, you just. Yeah. She had some metal trays that folded out, and they also had a landscape painted on it, hmm. like it was on tin or aluminum. Yeah. And I remember I copied the, the couch and I copied the drawing from no the, 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 the pan. And then my, my grandpa had a velvet painting 
of a Native American. Mm. Like, you know, black <laughs> velvet painting? You know those things? <laughs> I saw uh, an Elvis yeah. velvet painting the other day with the third yeah. eye and everything. It's, it's yeah, and I took it else. off the wall and oh. I painted on the back of it, which was also black velvet. Whoa. I tried to paint my own Indian on the back of it. Whoa. Yeah. That was like in the first... Oh, like the first ten years somewhere around there. Eight well, years I was old? like probably in eight, nine, no ten kidding. or something. Oh, see, see, that makes me um, gives Maybe me even hope. earlier. <laughs> gives me hope that like the brain finds a way, right? If the brain has a disposition to do so something, even if you were in a in a prison cell, you would start painting with like your poo or something. You yeah, know? like or because something. The inclination yeah. is there. You know, making uh, chess pieces out of bars of soap. I mean, that wasn't, of course, I mean, I did, drew monster trucks, I drew jets, I drew, you know, guns and war drawings, mm. you know, what kids do. I mean, you were probably uh, watching TV, anim animated shows, too, at the time? Yeah, or, of course, yeah. yeah those yeah. are a big influence. Yeah. But the first art that I saw was a book my grandma King gave me. Mm. It was, like, still lifes. Mm. And they were, like, the Dutch masters were in there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I remember thinking, is that a painting? Right. Yeah. And then, it, you know, Wow. Wow, and I'm, that was, I don't know why you brought that up, but yes, yeah. Oh yeah, from, from Ohio. So I, I, basically, I had no connection Influence, at yeah. all to real art. I mean, imagine being growing up in New York, I can't imagine growing up in New York City and being a little kid and going to the Met and right. going to the MoMA yeah. and yeah. seeing these yeah. things. Yeah. I mean. Oh, it boggles the mind. No, yeah. I mean, I was, I was kind of that kid because uh, I, I've been in New York City since kindergarten. I was born in Poland and we moved to Belgium for a year or two. And then we got kicked out and went and came here. But New York City since kindergarten. So, yeah, like uh, we would take like a class trip every once a year or something to something like that, like a big museum. Um, one of my early memories of New York City is being in the, that Egyptian wing of the Metropolitan oh, yeah, yeah. and just not knowing what is this? Like what is happening here oh, yeah. and going through like one of those um, little entryways and like feeling like. I was there yesterday. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. This like claustrophobic feeling of being lost. It's like being lost and claustrophobic. <clears throat> it's a strange combination, but yeah. I mean, I don't know if it influenced me in any way, but I mean, it influences yeah. me now. I was, I got lost yesterday in the Met. I mean, really lost. I guess <laughs> I didn't care. The problem is, you start you start to walk, and then you think, oh, I just got to go back the way I came. But then you see something, and you get stuck, and oh, you sure. look at another thing. You're like, which way? Which way? I actually just stop and ask for directions. And I've been to the Met fifty times. It's a good place to I get lost. lost. It's a good place to get <laughs> lost. I could spend all day there easily. Have you seen that, the, 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 like the pre-Columbian section of the Aztec, all the gold there? Have you seen that? I don't know if I have. Oh, my God. Hmm. There's like, there's like, a, uh, like a, a dress made out of bird feathers. Ooh, like a, really? like a, a shawl or something. And it's like Aztec period? I don't know. So, it's pre-Columbian, I believe. But it, you just can't believe someone made that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, not too long ago, I was in um, yeah the, the Japanese wing, and saw some um, like samurai armor, and I was yeah. boggled my mind. Like yeah. people were making this like pre-industrial era, just like by hand, just this beautiful, beautiful works of art that were just for battle. Well, you, there's a, a jousting armor that's so gorgeous. Mm. It's, I forget what museum it's in. There's a giant wing nut right in its face. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah, the armor, armor. Of course, everyone likes likes the armor. I was in the Polynesian section there, or maybe it's no, it's the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. There are these masks that were inspired by whale bones. Masks. So, I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it, and it looks like someone took a giant whale vertebrae and like held it up to their head and thought that looks like a funny face. <laughs> so they actually like 
painted it on it. Really? You know? Huh. And then made made it made a basically a, a mask in the shape of a, a whalebone, but it's so abstract looking. No kidding. When you see it, it looks like a bizarre surrealist mask. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, wow. Wild. That's pretty cool. The in terms of like surrealist stuff that's not meant to be surrealist stuff, like the uh, the, the African traditional art section. Uh, I think I, this is also a memory from childhood of being there. The traditional garb or outfit of, I guess, what would be a shaman, um, where they're always like covered in weird stuff and the profuse use of like shells and like their faces obscured. Yeah, um, obscuring faces. It's is a big like one. nightmarish. Yeah. It's like nightmarish imagery. It's really fascinating to like see it, and then like as a kid and like this towering figure, um, and you're like, what is this? Like, why is this? Yeah, there's a at the Art Institute of Chicago. There's a beautiful shamanistic mask there with mm. with the face covered. And mm. there's a whole section. A lot of them had this blue pigment on the top of the head or a bird mm. carved up on top there. There's a great collection of that there. When I was given the little tours of the Art Institute, I focused on that section for a while. Mm. But man, yeah, those masks are great because they're kind of hiding the self and yeah, kind of totally, raising totally. the person which, up. Which, uh, I can then only like take a leap and imagine what it is to live in a culture like that and then to be a child and see a figure like that probably like in, in a nighttime ritual and not know what the hell this is you know what, what impact yeah. that leaves on you um, but I mean as yeah, humans symbolically. as humans we're so adaptable yeah we could go on a spaceship you and I I mean the thought of you and I being on a spaceship traveling to some distant planet is like stuff of absolute fantastical dreams you know sure one child raised on that ship wakes up and that's all that child has ever known. It's yeah. not special be to normal. that child. Yeah. It's yeah. nothing. He's just on a ship traveling right. through space <laughs> you know, near the speed of light. No big deal. Right, right, you know? right, right. But I mean, to the child born into America in 2019, you know, this is crazy. You know? yeah. But to them, it's just, it's just everyday life. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so maybe you're, you're in some village in Papua New Guinea and the guy comes out wearing a mask. It's just what's all, you, it's all you've ever known. Right, you know? right. But it's just, I guess to tie that back into art, yeah, now you're born as an artist. And you go to the MoMA, you go to the Met, you open up an art book, you see it on, well, to, to Instagram, who reads books? <laughs> but, uh, uh, the cool kids do. Yeah, the cool the kids, cool kids. Do, I yeah. teach some cool kids, they still read books. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you, you're seeing the history of art laid out in front of you. So right, now right, you have right. so much to pull from. Which is, uh, I think we can, we, can, we can kind of segue into something interesting here, because mm. with the commodification of art and money, creativity is now something, to, it's a way of making money in the world. It's almost like a way that people want to be making money even more. So like, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where people haven't had this inclination or, or haven't had this much of an inclination to quit their whatever their day job is and go on Etsy and like be an Etsy artist or something. Like, yeah. It's, it's created this sense of... of a well, yeah, you're going to have, have different types of people. You've got people that are high risk takers. Right. You know, high risk takers, you're going to be two types. You're gonna have those who are very talented, and they're they're taking a risk at a creative endeavor is going to produce a higher chance that they're going to be able to you know make it in the world doing that you know cut, right. niche, cut out a niche. There's going to be those types that are not very talented. Let's just face it, uh, they don't they don't have the necessary skills. But <clears throat> so there's a risk, a failure, and maybe a large portion of your life was spent trying to make a, li- a living as a creative individual. It may not pan out. Right. You know. But it's better than, say, someone who's overtly conservative their entire life, 
which, where you, you don't really take that chance, so, you, so the winnings aren't so big. But we have a tendency to only look at the people who made it. Right. So well, when you look at the art history and the art magazines, you think, oh, I could be just like that. Everyone wants to be, especially when you're young and you're coming out of school. Yeah, yeah. You just want to be that guy at the top, you know. Yeah, yeah. You don't expect, God, the pyramid <laughs> is very broad at the bottom, right. very small at the top, and a lot of walking. There's a lot of dues to be paid, even if you even get anywhere near the top. <clears throat> well, that's the thing, yeah. Well, then again, there's this, I saw something the other day, I was showing this with my wife. Like, uh, it was, uh, do you know about the uh, Dunker candlestick problem? It's a, it's a cognitive, I think he was a, he was a cognitive therapist. Hmm. No, he was a gestalt. He was a guy in his gestalt. Gotcha. Uh, but he, in, in like 1947, invented this. It was just a candle. You, you kind of walk into a room. There's a candle there. Hmm. A box, and inside the box were tacks. Hmm. And there's a book of matches. And you had one, one thing. Light the candle so it doesn't melt onto the table. That was it. That's all the ingredients you were given. And then, you know, people within a particular period of time, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, would, would figure it out. Now, the answer is simple, or apparently simple. <laughs> you empty the tacks out of the box, you tack the box to the wall, you put the candle on the box, and you light the candle. So you basically make a little sconce, a little right, shelf. Right. Yeah. Um, then they did something different. This, is, there's, this guy, he was talking about this. They had uh, put an incentive behind it. Hmm. Like money. Sure. You know, uh, you would think that with an incentive like money, you, the people in there would have figured out the problem faster. Uh, right. <laughs> but in fact, they were like 30% slower. They're slower. Whoa. And then Less efficient. they couldn't figure that. Okay, why? Well, then they did one. I think it probably happened on accident. And they were like, well, what was the variation here? The tax, when you come in the room, the tax weren't in the box. They were on the table. So it was just a box, some tacks, matches, and a candle. Huh. They, with the incentive, were actually faster when the tacks were out of the box. And I got to thinking about that. There's, there's a, when there's a motivator behind it, this makes vision smaller, more right. focused. Right. Because there's a, a sharper image. When the tacks are out of the box, that box is now seen in its complete functionality. But when tax are in the box, it's seen as not a, an item by itself. It's part seen of the as tax a con container. A container that, so when tax container. Yeah. So when you had no incentive, you were more open-minded to what you could use, and you, you know, right. The chance right. of failure the wasn't filter is open. Yeah, yeah. So failure really wasn't an option. If you failed, so what? You no, know, right. you were open to more ideas. Hmm. So this kind of test showed that creativity and a focus are sometimes detrimental. In particular, that kind of carrot hanging in front of every artist to be somebody, to be successful, to be mm. a seller, could very well be the same thing that's hindering them. Mm. Now, of course, they did this, they took that test to India where the gap between rich and poor is much greater and there yeah. was the money, and they found that, of course, yes, it, the bigger it is, the worse it gets, the mm. worse the lag time. So the more pressure you have. So. Yeah, I can imagine that if they raise the money incentive to even something higher, then yeah, the, the person gets more frantic in trying to figure out an answer and less receptive to the possibilities, right? What's well, like that thing you see, it's like, it's another cognitive test where there's nine dots and you're supposed to make four lines to encompass every dot. Mm. You know, you kind of go way out the boundaries because no one thinks outside of the boundary. Right. 
But these kinds of tests are, are interesting because they kind of do talk about the focus. You know, mm. when you, well, you know, it's like the particle physics. You know, when you, the more you know the spin, the less you know the position. You know, or, you know, mm. or mm. It, it, yeah. When we have a tendency to focus on something, we have a tendency to to lose potential outside of that. You know? Yeah, it, there's this, a great quote that reminds me of that I always think of. Whenever I'm working on a project that involves money, and uh, but it's a creative endeavor. God leaves the conversation when money enters. Like, when money enters the conversation, God leaves the room. That's the way it's traditionally said. That's interesting. Yeah, that would kind of hint at that, wouldn't it? Yeah. That yeah. The, when there's a when there's something at stake, or there's something to be won or lost, or it's funny. If there was no money there, and you got nothing, there was no loss. But there's potential for there to be potential something. Now there's mm. potential for loss. Potential for loss. That potential for loss. But how does that translate to art? Yeah. Mm. How many artists really don't care? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people, oh, I don't care about being known. I don't care about showing my work. I, right. Sure, okay, yeah, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. You know. Did you go to art school? If you went to art school, I find that, you know, that... Hard to believe. Hard to yeah. believe. Yeah, hard to If you didn't go to art school, I still find it a little hard to believe. Are you in New York, trying to, trying to have shows? You know? <laughs> and not care, right? I mean, I mean it, you know... I think, I, as I talked about the other one, the idea of what a devotional painting may become, what it may be in, in contemporary time, you know, contemporary mm. side, what is a devotional painting? Can you, can you make art now strictly for yourself and outside of the bounds of it? Of course you could. But, I mean, you've got you've to leave at the door all notions of any recognition. Now, is that, is that going to inevitably produce better art? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. So I guess, again, even in the candlestick thing, those ingredients were given to us. The room was given to us. The rules were given to us what to do. Right. So you could say the art world in general, as we see it, which is, is admitted, completely run by finance, hmm. uh, it's still the room. It's the ingredients on the table. It's right. the guy it's the telling game. you. That's the game it's the game. Played. It's the guy yeah. telling you, hey, right. do this with these things, you know? What can you do with these? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> Again, that's kind of, you in know, limited with, capacity, yeah. with my own practice, when, when I had run into Solowit and uh -huh. seen the limitations, the possibilities within the limitations. Right. Because in grad school, I was open to everything. Very, very open. Everything could be art. Everything could be art. I mean, that's the beauty of a limitation is in, 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 a, in a limitation, you open up the chance for infinity when, when you don't have a limitation, the infinity that is there is overwhelming. Like, it's too much. There's a famous game you can play with someone um, that uh, kind of illustrates this. Like, uh, if you come up to someone and be like, hey, you want to play a game? And they go, yeah, sure. And you go, all right, uh, your turn. You want to play a game? Yeah. <laughs> sure. You start. Right. Like, it's, it, it, it's, <laughs> I win. <laughs> you win. <laughs> you, no, maybe I lose. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, what is the game? I don't know. Yeah, the game is the game. We didn't define it. We didn't define it wins yeah. or loses yet. It's too many options. Yeah, but if we, but we kept going, we would already start the game. That would be the game, yeah. would be to keep asking well, the, if you want to play This is what the, you know, that, <laughs> that, that, that psychologist Piaget, yeah. Yeah. he was interested because he, um, this is fascinating, he, uh, like a group of kids would be playing ball or playing a game, and then he noticed that they'd play, and they would kind of like, no, you can't do that. Or, and he would take the kids out one by one, and he realized that none of the kids knew the rules of the game. Yeah. 
but kind of collectively they knew the rules of the yeah, game. Yeah, they adapted to each other. Yeah. And then they, and mm. as people, certain children would sort of kick the ball or hold it too long or something, they would challenge the boundaries, the collective boundaries that was sort of developing out of the game. Sure, sure, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing to watch. And this has a sort of, a, this has a lot of uh, connotations. Because, mm. I mean, it's like the, in some ways, you, and not to, you know, to mince my analogies, but it's like the, the blind men and the elephant. You know? Mm. You know this. You know the idea. Like each of them is touching a part each, of the. Yeah, elephant. Oh yeah, this elephant's very flat. He's got all the ear. The one's very long. It's got a trunk. Right. It's very right. thin because it's got a tail. I mean, it's like we all kind of have a piece of this of this idea, and in a creative process, I mean, maybe the the guy who's got a really open process, he's sort of walking around the elephant a little bit more, touching it here, touching right. it there. Right. You know. The guy is, you know, maybe the guy who is always, you know, he really knows that trunk, man. He can sculpt it. Yeah. You know, he's really good at it. You know, he knows it in detail. You know, I think when we look at art, we either have a tendency to look at its craftsmanship, its how well it's done, how, you know, or we look at you know, how free it is or how open it is or creative it is. There's so many different ways to even read it art as right. there is to make it. Right, right, you true. Know? Yeah. So I think... Yeah, I don't know what I'm thinking. We're just rambling, aren't we? <laughs> so the game, again, the game, the candlestick box, it is still sort of tied together. It is about the frayed edges of the boundary of what we kind of either think we live in or don't know we realize we're in. You know, we're all in the game. If you're an artist, even if you're not playing the game, you're in that thing. You're in it anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whether you're actively playing or not, you're on the board. I think I, yeah, I, think I mentioned this again. I, I, remember I, went this, I met this girl here. And she was telling me that she was an outside artist. She was very proud of that. Mm. And then she'd been in New York and, and she'd been to every museum since she's a kid. And I was like, I had to tell her, like, I hate to break it to you. I mean, you have an education better than most people. Mm. You know, it's because you don't have that degree. It doesn't mean you're not, like, you're in, you're in it. You're in it. You know the history. Right. You know, you're not going to step out of that. No. I saw something the other day. It was, like, about the Native American women that made these abstract designs on saddlebacks. Mm. Of course, there's this, there's this desire. Of course, they're, they're brilliant. They're, they're beautiful. There's this idea of comparing it to, to abstract painting that's come up in, you know, in you know, the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Yeah, you can make that connection, but still, you, in order to... The context to even, is different. The context right? is the, completely the different. The value is different. Yeah. Well, I, not even so much as the value, because even the, 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 the bags themselves are, could be, of course, now valued very highly. Sure. But... I mean, to make these kind of comparisons, we have to consider, like, what, what the context is. You know? Right. The you game know? she was in is different than the game we're looking at it yeah, now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know where we're going to go with that. Yeah, but, no, yeah. no, but <laughs> I have another interesting uh, idea that came up. So you had, uh, in one of the interviews that I heard you in, you had said you originally started in sculpture, or that was the, the that first was my, motivation. I got my, ma- I got my, ma- well, yeah, my very first motivation as a child was, was probably sculpture. Right. Yeah. So you did get a degree in... in I got my master's degree in sculpture. Oh, master's degree. Even, even my bachelor's degree, when I got my bachelor's degree, my senior thesis exhibition was half sculpture. Mm. I was already working my way into sculpture. And the first artist that I worked for, professional artist I worked for, was Anne Hamilton, and she was an installation artist-sculptor. Mm. So that was already there. I just love the fact that, you know, the limitations of sculpture are very different in painting. Sure. Creatively. Because you have to work with gravity. You have to work with things that you can't make something do something it's not going to do. Mm. It's really hard to do that, you know. So I like the idea of just kind of working with things as they were. So, and I, you know, my first sculptures were minimalist, which is yeah. I was really interested in minimalism, like really interested in it. Uh, so they were easy to make. 
<laughs> I'm not going to lie. I mean, there, I was never a traditional. I, I tell people this, and I'll say it on record here. I'm one of the only people I know with a master's degree in sculpture who never took a, a sculpture class. Never took a traditional? Like, uh, no, I never took steel. Mm. Or I never welded. I never had a sculpture, you know, marble or clay class. I mean, mm. I did ceramics for a while, but I mean, it's not the same thing. Sure, sure. I just never did that. I just I went the way of sculpture just by reading, reading and going to classes about, con you know, just the history of art. I got fascinated with, like, Ava Hess and early on and, like, you know, like her some of her sculptures were so fascinating to me, you know. I mean, you were compelled by that. Tony Craig is her own works, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Very compelled by mm. its presence. Uh, material things, you know. I really loved the earthworks. I, I, I loved the earthworks. Mm. Yeah, man. But, again, here I am. We're in, our, we're in my studio and I'm surrounded by paintings. I mean, there's sure. some stuff over here, obviously. I'm, some, I'm, I'm making some objects still. Uh, yeah. But the, just uh, what's, what's curious to me is that the, the the way I assume the creativity is working and the parts of the brain it's using, uh, the spatial sense that it's using to create and think in sculpture is slightly different than the visual sense to create something on, yeah. uh, for all intents uh, and purposes, a two-dimensional field, right? I, I can feel a change in my brain. That's what I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah. Was, uh, th was there a shift that you noticed at some point? Well, towards that beginning when I was working at more flat work and then I would go and I had a couple of shows where I was continuing to do the sculpture, yeah. I felt the shift because I'd kind of gradually eased into it. Hmm. You know, and I didn't do any painting in grad school or after that. But I remember when I was living in Japan, I lived there for two years after grad school, I would see a situation like on the ground or against a wall and I, and I would start to I'd feel my brain shift into sculpture mode I remember I was arranging things a little bit hmm. for photographs because I got so used to photographing sculpture in my studio because you know I had one studio I'd kind of make something I'd photograph it and move on to the next thing hmm. I kind of continued that and then I realized the image of it's also important I think it was the photography of sculpture that brought me out into the realm of of the flat image again. Oh. Yeah, which is weird. I was taking things at a three-quarter view, you know? Yeah, 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 know? yeah, yeah. And it just sort of became that. But I remember the few times, and I loved found objects. I loved work that was kind of making itself, you know? Uh, very into Duchamp and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, yeah, boy. Hmm. The, the, sh the shift to painting had everything to do with Saul LeWitt. Really? Yeah. Because when I moved to New York, I had that job, and was doing the wall drawings for about what four years. What was the years. job? But what was the job entailing? Making soul with wall drawings, first at Mass Moke and then privately around New York. And so, so how did and that work? Even like, in, went to Korea and I went to Milan and making the drawings. So he yeah, would like you know, somebody would buy, yeah, somebody buy a drawing. The wall drawing itself is just a piece of paper, a certificate with the idea. Mm. You know, like any amount of dots, any place on the wall, all lines connecting. So it was his concept and then people would execute oh, it. Yeah, I was one of the people that executed I had mm. a woman that I worked with was one of LeWitt's close friends and I was her assistant so I, I did that with her uh, for, for a while. I liked mm. it quite a bit but then uh, that job stopped. But uh, I'm glad I got out because I think it would have affected my, my own work a bit too much. Just really? in that time that I was in there it already had affected my work. Really? Again, it was, but it was the idea of limitation, putting limitations on the work. But I kept thinking, the more limitations I put in, it was like, it was like getting ready to squirt out. I had so many options. <laughs> I, like, I thought I was going to make it easier for myself, but I made it harder. Hmm. I just condensed it. Which is funny, now looking at this painting behind you again as you're talking, uh -huh. it, it looks like, 
like when you take a handful of junk and just squeeze it together until it can't go any sure it, it's like critical mass you know it's reach, reaching critical mass I mean there's there's really clear sense of, of order within that and that's kind of the beauty of it is letting your eyes and uh, maybe the gestalt principles in your brain like put things together and make a form out of it right well look I love abstract expressionist art. I love Rothko. I love all that stuff. I mean, it was very big influence on me. Uh, I mean, de Kooning has never had a bad day, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. In my in my mind, he just kept getting better. Uh, but these paintings, these newer paintings I've been working on, these, I guess you call them spectrum paintings, which is painting I've been making in the past year, they are, they're not abstract expressionist paintings by any means. Mm. I mean, they're slow. They're deliberate. In some ways, the application is deliberate. They're, in some ways, they're ex- the exact opposite of the painting I've been trying to make for 15 years. Hmm. I, and it's why they're so weird to me. It's why I'm so fascinated by it, because they're, they're against everything that I was doing for so long. Hmm. But that was a real change. That was a new change. That was a real challenge. And this whole time, I thought, hey, I'm about the challenge. I'm about changing. I'm about transformation. So this was the biggest honest transformation I'd ever made in, in painting hmm. because it, you know, this, is this expressive? It looks kind of crazy. It looks expressive, but I'm, there's very little, I mean, there are thousands of little expressive marks in it. Right, right. It was uh, to- Tobey, this guy Tobey, you know this painter? It was just introduced to me by, by a, a recent acquaintance, this painter Tobey, and she said, hey, you know, he was really into like young and and archetypes and was an early thinker of mysticism and yeah. he became a, a Baha'i guy hmm. he was one of the you know, early American guys he was like from Wisconsin or something and he was kind of doing this type of uh, he influenced Jackson Pollock apparently hmm. with the non-hierarchical structure non-compositional structure there's no dominant subdominant or accent in this it's all yeah. everything's equal hmm. you know which is kind of doesn't work politically for me but <laughs> it works in a painting sure, you know? sure. it works as, a, as an idea uh, visually, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a shift. It's been a shift, and, and to be honest, and I've made these three large blank canvases that you can, as you can see, I have absolutely no idea what those are going to turn into. They'll probably look something like this, sure, sure, or they could suddenly look like that one I just did the other day. So, <laughs> uh, you know, they are even within this one mark, this one mark, I can't stop changing it. There's, it's infinite you variety. You do like little oh, variety in it. There's so much variety in it. Hmm. Yeah, so how did that mark come about? You, you say you've been doing it... Man, I'm trying to think of the first time I did it. Over a year, a few years, you were saying? I think it maybe had happened on accident when I my brush had touched another piece of color and then I noticed it did that or something. I don't remember the day. How would you even describe the mark like to somebody who's just listening instead of seeing it? It looks like a a blended prismic refracted light on a wall or something mm. or it could be a friendship bracelet sort of woven <laughs> color you know those things I used to make that. yeah it's like, well, as a immediate visual it certainly yeah, works it, it could be a woven pattern i started making this wiggly mark in it which added a little more um uh focus in it the first one i did didn't have those didn't have the wigglies you know sometimes they they don't but now they're some of them are all wiggly it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like a. It's a good subtle kind of. It's a mark. Right? It's a mark you make when you're a little kid. You know, it's a. It's it's an it's nothing, really, you haven't seen before. Maybe I don't know. 
You've seen it in digital, that's for sure. You've seen it in, you've seen it in computer stuff, but again, I'm not mimicking, I had no intention to do that. It looks like, oh, bismuth. Remember, you know that, that you know the, the, the mineral bismuth? The mineral bismuth, oh. Bismuth, okay. yeah. I put the bismol's made from it, but hmm. it looks like that, or like a, a shattered CD, or a shattered iridescent film on a bubble. Yeah, I can see yeah. some of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when I first looked at it, it looked both familiar and unique. It has that weird quality. Yeah, yeah, it is familiar. It familiar, feels like something you've seen. Unique. Yeah, like some fragment in a crystal or something. Yeah. What, what I like about these paintings is that you know, I had a friend, his name is Jim, Jim Way. Mm-hmm. He'll, some might know him as Jim Lee. But, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he came and saw one of these things and he said, the most, probably one of the most honest uh, things, he said, you know, Clint, these have everything you like in them. Everything you like? Yeah, because like, he's seen my work over the years develop. And it occurred to me, I kind of knew what he was saying. I mean, oh, yeah. I've always wanted to explore as much color as possible, but to be honest, mm. if anyone looks at my older work, I'm pretty muddy and I'm pretty dark. Mm. You know, I'm moody. Yeah, moody like if, if that one is an example of your older work. Yeah, it's mean? older. I wish I could yeah. show you some of these other ones that are kind of wrapped up right now. But uh, yeah, just darker, mm, you know, dark. I was a dark painter. I'm not going to lie. These are even kind of dark, you know. But. Yeah, I got to explore color with this. Sure. This is, this is what you get out of just, I guess, limiting yourself and then finding an explosion on the other end of that. You know, mm. like, like when you, yeah, with a telescope or microscope, you just go down and then there's, it's infinite. Yeah, the further down you go, you it's, keep going. Yeah, yeah. So these marks, I guess, I can explore a composition, I can explore color, I can explore value, I can explore technique, I can explore expressive mark, everything I want so far is in the painting. So I think I really have, for now, kind of come into something. And my other friend, Jake Cartwright, he was in here, had an open studio. He'd said, you know, you know, you've managed to do something difficult. You managed to make a painting that like painters like and like everyday people like. like mm. My grandma will like this painting, mm. you know. So like it's dangerous, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you're working on it, let's say, do you envision like every square foot as a composition? No. Or is it organic and kind of flowers it, out? Or it's organic. It? I mean, it's all about re- I respond. I'm constantly responding. It's not like I've completely changed the way I've ever painted. I'm still painting, you know, the same way. Yeah. I just make marks and I respond to those marks. Now, sometimes the first marks I lay down or the marks, the 562nd mark I make is I make a decision there because it just felt intuitively right or I make a I throw a wrench in there to kind of see what happens if I make a mark, a really big mark over here. And then I spend the rest of the time either fixing a mistake I just made or, or working with a, a nice, nice decision. Yeah. But it's constantly responding. Sometimes I grab the paint and it's just blind. It's a blind painting process. I just whatever colors I happen to grab just to see what happens. Yeah. Other times I'll be walking around, you know, biting into a sandwich and a color pattern will come in my head. Oh, yeah? I'm like, yeah. oh, I got to remember that. That'd be a good color pattern. I see it on something. Mm. I like to use the rust and the way that rust meets that fuchsia, you know, in that car. You know, I, something like that. You know, I'll, I just, you know, sometimes I come in here, I don't feel like painting. Sure. That's natural so for I just, all creative processes. Yeah. And I think, what? Why? Just, oh, I have some old gray paint. I'll use that, you know. 
So I just sort of just do whatever. Eventually, the process will take over, yeah. and I'm responding to even not even wanting to respond in the first place. Do you, tr- do you with painting, set yourself to a schedule, like a certain time each day, every other day, for a block of two or three hours, or how do you approach yeah, it? Yeah, I've said this some, some multiple times on, like, I, I, it's very true. I don't like going to work, do you? It's it's okay. <laughs> depends, you know, depends. Yeah, depends on the day. Sure. Yeah, if I can get something done at work that's my own, yeah, maybe. But uh, I, I, it's kind of a thing I've said now. But if you can go in even one hour in your studio and you make marks or you do something, even one hour in your studio can really save an entire day that you did nothing. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, a sometimes I only come in here, I, I do work. one knife. I mean, I, you know, one knife with the paint on it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'll just do one, one series. That, still, I'm not, you know, way satisfied with that. Sure. But, hey, I did something that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but, you know, when, when I used, you know, I studied Aikido, I, and that was my Aikido day. And this was my, you know, one day to do this. I, you know, my therapist had that day. So, of course, you, you start chopping your week up. But I started to sort of, okay, well, on Monday nights I go here Monday, I'm all here all day. You know, Tuesday nights, I come here. Wednesday, I go there. So I just started trying to get as much time in here as I possibly could. If I wanted to go meet friends and have a drink, even two hours in here, I still could go meet friends at 9 or 8 o'clock right on the corner here. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I was a better person, too, when I came in to see my friends if I had a couple hours. If I got one hour in, Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. felt like, oh man, sitting well in myself because I actually did something. Yeah, no, no, I know exactly what you mean because there, like, there was a day the other day where you know once you have a kid and you still have to have a job to pay bills and you have a wife that you want to maintain a relatively stable good relationship with and you have a house that you have to pay bills on uh, all those things you know they, they influence your schedule and they tighten things up quite well but there are days like the other day where I had 15 minutes to work on the mix for this song I'm trying to finish before I sat down I was like man this day is just Stay is fucked, man. There's just too much shit on my plate. There's too much going on. Within that 15 minutes, like the whole tone of my day changed, and then I'm off to work. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll, I've got like one little step forward in that mix to finish this song, and I'll work on it more tonight. And if I didn't sit down for those 15 minutes, my day would have just felt shit, basically. Like it, yeah. it's just totally changed it. Yeah. You gotta have something. Even if you started a project, and you know it's not anywhere near done, but you advanced it to where you kind of know where it could go. Yeah, that's enough to pull you forward. Yeah, you know you want to come back and, and yeah. Oh God, I'm so close. Like I'm writing. I'm a very terrible writer. I've never been a very good writer. So I guess what I mean by that, it's very hard for me to write. Okay, very hard. Uh, like I, I'm writing about an experience I had a few months ago, and it's so hard to write about. But man, it keeps me going. Mm. You know. And I was getting close, and then I changed a couple things, and I'm like, oh, my God, why did I do that? i got to go back and change all the, you know. Uh, it's, it's like writing, a, like, or journaling? Like, a, are you writing your own thoughts? Are you I'm writing, writing a novel? You know, or? Uh, no, no novel. But I, I started out when I was a kid. I had a, a journal. I just was writing personally. So it's very confessional-style writing, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I, I'm very descriptive, and I like to write about things that happened to me when I was younger. And I, I did this thing. Uh, it all started recently. A few years ago, this with this, the psychologist developed this this uh, like program for writing out your life, hmm. where your your life was put into epochs, and then you kind of wrote six events in each each time. Hmm. And I felt that I, mean, I wrote hundreds of thousands of words, 
and it flew, it just flew, just kind of poured out of me because they had an emotive reality to them. You yeah, know, they were not yeah. just theoretical thoughts. Right. They were you weren't real. judging them no, on the content no, they were just, of the grammar. They were, they were real. Just, right, right. But in doing that, I was learning, I was kind of slowly teaching myself how to write again. Yeah. You know, I'd read back, oh God, I, I'm very bad at prepositions. And I, I mean, eh, <laughs> why is it at the end? But I was just, you know, just kind of like I spoke. But now I'm, you know, just trying to put my head on things, wrap my head around things in my life. And it's sort of like a journal, but at the same time, I'm learning, you know, and, you know, I like doing, you know, lectures or writing about things that I'd like to learn about or like to know about. It's great. Sometimes I write emails to people that go on for a long time. And I'm like, I know. I'm, I'm bad at, at sitting down for an hour to write one email. Oh, um, yeah, me too. I, I don't know why I do it. Either I won't text, I, I won't answer why. your text for five hours or I'll send you an email. It's like, five pages long yeah no I, like <laughs> it's bad like I, that's last night I could have just been doing something productive and then I was just responding to somebody in an email and then I was editing my sentences so that I could be like more clear in what I'm trying to say and, and it's just like by the end of that 30 minutes I'm like was that really necessary <sighs> no <laughs> you write a giant email and just can it you're like oh man this, that looks that sound crazy but at the same time you know there's utility to it you're yeah. composing your thoughts is what you're doing. Like you're rearranging your brain to to say the thing you want it to say and, and to believe the thing you want it to believe from that moment on, in a sense. Um, so so there, there's a therapeutic or at least something that you're understanding about yourself by the end, I think. Well, I mean, language is a hard thing, but this is where painting and visual arts come in. You know, mm. the visual language is, is such a different animal. You know, yeah. Language has... A different type of functionality. I mean, all of it's communication. All of it is communication. Mm, now, everything, some of the, is communication. everything is communication. <laughs> but I mean, some people like. I could make the argument that these paintings I'm working on now are about me. Mm. You know, of course, right? It's. I could interpret what this shift might mean to me. Now, if I was to sit down and put pen and paper, I could try to write that all out. Maybe you can read it and get something out of it. But you looking at the painting, you're not going to get that. You know? Sure, right. Each person might interpret it differently. Yeah, but I mean, there is something being said in this painting behind you. Mm. You know, but if I was to write it all out, I'd feel like I'd sort of smother it. Mm. You know, because we have a tendency to just go one thing after another with our linear thinking when we read. You know, yeah. Poetry. I wish I was a poet because it's so much. It's just there's it's more. You can catch more of an essence with poetry than you can. Huh. A bit more. Yeah. You got symbology, symbols. Yeah, well, yeah. The symbols are really fascinating. Yeah, but the the thing with the shift, just uh, one final thought on that. Yeah, I wanted to mention. Yeah, we've been here for a while, I think, right? Gosh. I don't know. How long has it been? I don't know. Have yeah. you given? Keep you track? Hour at least. Oh, more than that, I think. Yeah. Um, just I remember yeah. that when I was because I asked you about the sculpture to to painting oh, yeah. thing, and, and it seems like your experience uh, working with Saul, Saul, yeah, right? Saul away, yeah, what, what was pretty important. Um, I remember distinctly there was a moment when I was going from high school into college and I, and I went to conservatory of music in, in Brooklyn College mm. for my college mm. stuff. So it was, it was very music focused, very much like training your ear, uh, learning music theory, sitting at the piano hours for hours a day and, and composition lessons. And I, all my life through the years and through high school, I was very visually oriented and, and as just uh, a, an assumption, my, my visual language and my thinking visually was, was the dominant sense in a, in a way. And then when I got into college, after about two or three years, I can remember the day, I was just like, 
outside waiting for the next class and I was like listening I was just like listening to the birds listening to the train listening to everything and then like thinking of like uh, maybe a music piece I was working on and then I realized I wasn't actually using my visual sense anymore like I wasn't like uh, yeah. reacting to what I'm yeah. seeing yeah. I'm just like hearing and it's like my, my vision turned off for a bit and I'm like what the hell that's weird why would that happen and I'm like oh because I'm listening I'm like really, really intently listening and then I'm like have I ever done that before? How long have I been doing that? Where I just turn off my vision for a while to listen. Probably list, your whole life. Yeah, yeah to, to yeah. do a different sense. But I think that's the thing though, is that I realized I wasn't doing it my whole life, that, that by focusing so much on this, this, this medium of music and sound, um, it's like at some point a boulder shifted in my mind that moved itself onto like, now sound, hearing is your primary sense and, and way of thinking. Um, now vision, I guess, would be the secondary one. And it was weird to realize that. It was like, what? That happens? Like, no one said things like that happen. You get, like, synesthesia where they'll cross over sometimes, too, I, right? I mean, I, I don't know if I've... I've only experienced that maybe in dreams or on, like, acid when I was a teenager or something. Yeah. But, yeah, not not overtly. I don't have, like, really strong... I, I, of course, you never really know. But mm. when I hear... I always have visions when I, or have images in my mind when I hear music. Oh, Partic right. Yeah, particularly classical music, I, I see all kinds of things. Oh, sure, sure, In, yeah. in drumming and beats, I, when I started playing drums, it, just because of the positioning of the drums, I started to hit them in patterns because, you know, like uh, a triplet I saw as a little triangle, you know? Sure, so right, I just you're see, reacting. You know, kind of dancing around, and, right. you know, kind of like a, mm. like a, like, like a Morse code or something. Sure. And but then of course sense. you get color behind it, and, a, and I started. You know, I, I do see like that. No, you're right. You're right. I, yeah. I, I see like even the, the the note and the key of A. I see it as red. The key of green. I see it as as. I mean, the key, I even mix the, yeah. the key of D. I see it as green. Uh, B is like an orange. E is like a blue. Yeah. It's so weird. here we're all the way back to the beginning of the conversation where we kind of talked about language and our mind and where the origin of the creative process because maybe because you went to school you're studying music that aspect of listening became sort of because you would focus so much of your time in your ears and your hearing that it kind of became aware you became more aware of what it was doing i think in modern times we're becoming more and more fragmented maybe in our past we you know thinking feeling sensation hearing you know perceiving these things were at times crossing over closer maybe mm -hmm. who knows maybe we were we were not not as uh, fragmented i guess that's one way to put it hmm. you know, maybe there were bigger connections or that each sense wasn't as isolated into its own well look back in the history of like like magic you know like hmm. like, like sympathetic magic when say some of these cave paintings they've found you know there'd be like you know spear marks on it whether you know right. who knows I love they, the hands yeah Those are beautiful yeah you know, we touch but imagine like you know there's a drawing of a of a bison or something and they found lots of like mm. stick marks on it was if they were sticking the drawing maybe there was uh, they thought hey if we if we if we could attack the drawing you know that'll lead to a give us luck in the give hunt. us luck in the hunt right. I mean, these kinds of things you know where there's a distinction between an object and and, and reality sure. you know these kinds of thoughts are still with us but I don't know. When you make music, I mean, look what makes heavy metal or death metal death metal. It's not just the pattern. It's not mm. just the timing. It's not just the screaming. It's like a whole, a whole thing. Yeah, no, it has an identity. 
it's not it's beyond the identity too mm. it's about the it's beyond the affect it's about the what is it that you're trying to to get out what is it that you're focusing on here well uh, interestingly about music styles i think in a weird way each and this comes from i think uh, insights that you gain as a, as a composer for films and the emotions that certain scenes are supposed to express yeah so you realize that each musical style um, there's, there's certain em- emotional states that each musical style is better at expressing yeah. and exploring. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you, uh, except for comedic effect, you wouldn't try to express happiness in a death metal song. Because yeah. there's certain emotions that death metal is really good at expressing. Yeah. And for, like, the same token, you wouldn't take a jazz song and try to express, like, intense anger. Like just, well, but if you took, if except you, if you do a certain style of jazz, if you like, had a time machine and you took a, you took a jazz song back and played it over an image of a flower blooming, mm. and you took a heavy metal song, would we would if we didn't have the lineage of the symbols, the language, would would it would it still have that effect to people who who don't know what black metal is, who never heard black metal in life, and, and you you put that over like a you know. A child running through a field of flowers. I think would they, would they yeah. find the discordance between the two images? You think certain elements probably. I mean, there's there's certain aspects of music that are uh, I think in, intuitive to most people, like the sound of a human voice. Right? Yeah. You can perceive emotion in yeah the way someone's crying. singing. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. We, we do um, know which is pretty deep in our psyche. The, 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 there's even some evidence that cats are imi- imitating the sound of a child. Crying. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, like that it's evolved like that. Mm. What about the cats that go, I love you? <laughs> <laughs> Who know, man, I think we're just interpreting that, but. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> I have a couple of videos like that of cats apparently talking. Yeah, I need, I need to see your, your, your meme My collection. Meme video, yeah. Your meme collection. I had a definitely. friend over last night, he's <laughs> never seen it, and I, I, we watched about an hour of it. Oh, and and then, of good. course, you know, Julie came home and said, like, okay, it's time to. Oh, that <laughs> I would have a beer she's for. She's seen it a thousand times. Yeah, no, that I would but, have a beer for, for sure. <laughs> uh, and I'm still working on that video. It's funny because we talked about that video a lot last night, and it's always the same question. Really? Where what? it fits into art. Oh, okay. Well, no, yeah. here, I have an answer to that. Yeah. Well, just as a little background, just maybe let people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Which is, uh, quite a few years ago, you started collecting the memes yeah. of the internet that I think you were reacting to. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, I just I collected memes for a very long time. Whenever video, I saw video memes. Video memes and GIFs when they first came out. Just whenever I saw something funny, I would save them. Right. You know, and... Over time, I mean, from when I when I lived in Chicago in the early early two thousands, and when I lived in Japan, I started saving them. And when YouTube was invented, and I just sort of, you know, and then I compiled them. I put pulled them all off and put them in folders. And over the years, I just had thousands and thousands of videos. Yeah. So then I thought, what well, is there? This is something to work with, mm. you know. What is you know what is modern entertainment? Why do we watch this stuff? You know. This isn't just America's Funniest Home Videos. This is, you know, we don't watch TV much anymore. We, we're on the computer. Right. You know, and what is it? I mean, every little thing has been caught. Every, you know, someone yelling and somebody shooting in their mouth on accident. I mean, uh, slipping on banana peels on there. I mean, everything that you could think of has been caught on film, you know. And, you know, of course, hmm. there's a natural filtration process, right? Like, 
the best, funniest memes kind of rose to the top through the filter of society. Right. Most watched, and hence the algorithm feeds yeah. into you more. Yeah, even before yeah. algorithms, I think, because they got passed around like viruses. Sure, they got passed which around. Which is like, like yeah. we've used like Dawkins' idea of the meme, you know. Right. Uh, same way words or phrases, right? Right. Same idea. Well, it's sort of a, a something that takes on a life of its own, yeah. right? But it, I didn't want to use like, hey, you know, you know, those, he bit my finger or anything like that. I'm not like, doing the greatest hits or I'm not Charlie. doing Charlie yeah, no, I'm, I'm not doing that with this right. video and I'm not doing like a fail blog where it's a bunch of people falling yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of people falling and shit in the video sure but it's it's the video becomes and I, you know, it's funny I had this talk last night with my friend Kimo Oftentimes, when you see found footage being used in, in art the art is about the edit hmm and I almost didn't want to do that either. I didn't want this to be mm, what about the edit. Oh, look how good I am at editing. Right. But, but it's, it is about, I mean, there's a lot of editing. So I spent most of my time doing editing it. But I don't want it to be about editing. And there isn't, the first time people watch it, they go, well, what's it about? Because they, they expect me to put a narrative behind it. Or, right. You know, and I had to be very careful when I was making the video because, you know, there was like, I mean, everyone's so sensitive with political correctness that I'm like, three random images that just happened to be there right. and I put and them in the video. What are you trying to say? Kind of thing, oh, right, yeah, right. what are you trying to say? There's, <laughs> oh, look at that. And then there's a camel. Oh, I know what you're trying to say. Right. No, I mean, that's really what you think you're, you're seeing. Right, you're implying, People are right. finding offensive stuff mm. everywhere now. Right. So, I mean, I actually had to start wondering, like, geez, I, I can't put that there and that next to that. I mean, someone will, will read that. So I, I did have to start doing it. And I was okay, well, I'm not this isn't this isn't political this isn't anti-political this isn't comedy this isn't horror this isn't but it's everything right right right, right. thousands and thousands of videos going on for hours that but you can't stop watching them why what does it say yeah, you know? yeah. I but mean, i mean you have to see the video no i do i do i just well, think where do i show it right. <laughs> well my my solution to the issue of is it art or how do you then take it over that hurdle and make someone perceive it as, as an artistic statement without being too on the nose would be um, putting very simple either sound that stays continuous through it or a music piece that's kind of amorphous yeah, and doesn't that, have much emotion. Yeah, that's like, like it's just like the like for instance the other threads video, at all. The yeah. other video project I've had going on for six years. I do a lot of accumulative. I mean these paintings are accumulative now, but hmm. I do this video where I've used this app. Very simple, straightforward app. It's just one second everyday app. And I've mentioned this on the thing. I've been doing it since 2012. And it's one second every single day. So it's about the evolution of me, my New York City, the evolution of cell phones. It's, you know, whatever. Uh, but that sort of idea, I've seen people put music behind them. They make them into music videos. Right, which right, right. Puts an overarching feeling into the video. Yeah, yeah. I would never want that. No, 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 no. I, I'm not saying like, yeah. that's why I'm saying an amorphous music. That uh, has no emotion in a sense. Like. It'd be hard to find a music with no, no emotion. No, 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 no. It's possible. Yeah. It's very possible. Yeah. But I mean, what's interesting about the video was when I put it when I first threw like the first like 500 videos on the on the on the video editor and just yeah. pushed play to see what happened. I was amazed at the silence behind an explosion and there was like a video with no sound at all. Hmm. And then another sound. It's just like it's using the material. Like kind of like like I said, Carl Andre said, or I think it was Richard Serra. It's 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 core ten all the way down. <laughs> you know, this is Ronnie Horn's. You know, you know Ronnie Horn's sculpture, Goldfield. It's pure gold. <laughs> you know, it's not like gold paint on a blanket. It's pure gold. You know, mm. the, you know this is pure aluminum. 
So this is just pure internet video. Right. So you're not commenting at all with no, anything. No, no, no. Right, it's, right, just right. it's just like the way I would use found object and not right. manipulate. Although, right. you know, like for instance, they, there, there's evidence now that maybe Duchamp was, was altering some of his found, mm. found pieces. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't Why be surprised. Not, right? Why I wouldn't not? Surprise you. Why not? But I mean, maybe he did, maybe he did, maybe some of he did, but. All right. Yeah. But like, why not sneeze? You know, that, that birdcage apparently is altered, some mm. people say. Mm. Yeah. Could very well be, you know? I mean, I think artists have the license to alter things for the sake of emotional truth. That's my view on it. Because hmm. artists aren't journalists. No. They're, they're trying to express something deeper or more profound or make a statement. And, and so they have every right to say this is real while after they have altered it. Well, oh, that was a can of worms because I would be, who in the hell would tell you that you couldn't do it? And then I'd be more worried about that guy. But, like I said, how maybe like, uh, I think it was Carl Andre, I forget if it was Carl Andre who complained about Richard, Richard or, or Morris's uh, boxes being not real minimalism. Mm. Well, it's because they were working within a confine of an idea they were developing. And they, they had like, kind of like I said with Piaget and the kids playing the ball. Yeah. They were sort of writing the rules as they went and everybody sort of had to pick, you know, an image of it or pick part of the, the, the rules. Right. But I mean, I just gave it a set of rules what I would want. I want it to be purist, like a minimal. So I, I have this, my own take on that. Right, right, you right, know, right. Of course you could put music. Maybe more people would like it. Right. But I just want it to be the clearest, purest example of what this stuff is. Yeah. Like the way yeah. you see it. That makes sense. But I, not that I'm not manipulating it. Because sometimes sure, I do the put thing. things, yeah. there's yeah. like an egg that's talking, like it's boiling and it looks like it's a mouth, blah, 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 blah. like, you know, two eggs with uh -huh. a mouth. And then there's also a tofu that looks like it's talking. There's a cat that looks like it's talking. Right. To put all three of those together would be then to get into the realms of like a fail, fail compilation of 2018. Right. right. Which is another way of presenting this kind of information. But I mean, the only way to avoid the influence or the commentary of the edit would be to have um, like let's say three screens and all of them are, are, are starting from a different point in it or edited in different ways and then have them going simultaneously, right? So then yeah. it's somebody's focus as they change from screen to screen that's, that's the editor rather than the commentary of, of the... Of the yeah, I did a video for my hometown once about a, a building that burned down, a park hotel that burned mm. down. I had three screens playing different oh, yeah. pans across burnt wood huh. and then occasionally just for one moment of course they all synced up and then they, they fell apart again. Oh, interesting. But it's, it's one way to do it. But that's pretty cool. Uh, I would want this video to just be one screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's funny we talk about, we end up talking about the video. Eventually people will see the video. <laughs> it's funny because I am making another video, a third video, just out of all the videos I've taken on my phone. Just random stuff? Random stuff. But then I've, it's been more about editing. I'll take one sound of one, you know, and kind of pass it over another one. Yeah. I'm just sort of influenced by the one second, also influenced by the meme video and sort of finding a little... Huh. mix between cool. it. But I'm not adding any extra music, but if there's music from one scene, it will... Yeah, kind of yeah, 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 yeah. That's over. a really, really great effective editing trick. It's a movie about nothing. It's mm. not about Seinfeld, although there is a Seinfeld you know, clip on it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, yeah. Um, Where are we going here? But yeah, before we maybe <laughs> have to wrap up in yeah. some fashion, some sensible fashion... Uh, I like these random, random, meandering conversations. They're great. Yeah, no, that's how you stumble onto the good stuff sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like digging through a gold mine. So 
you when you first came to New York City, you, one of your first jobs was as an art handler. Yeah. So uh-huh. I'm really curious about that world because I think very few people get to see what that's like and what an art handler even does, first of all, and then what maybe insights you get because of that role. It's like working in the uh, it's like working in the kitchen of a restaurant, and you're a person that always just goes into the restaurant and eats. And until you work in the kitchen of a restaurant, you don't yeah. really actually know, yeah. you know, the food being made and, and yeah. the, 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 how the dirty restaurants are. Yeah, and it smells back there. <laughs> and how crazy the, the chefs yeah. actually are. All the drugs that are being taken by everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, to, I mean, my, I mean, most artists in positions like me, um, in this world, being an art handler is a pretty, pretty common thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then there's like, there's the guys that work for other artists. That's an art job that is sought after, hard to find. That, just to focus on what, working for one specific artist. Yeah. Mm. Like working for museums, that's where I got my first jobs. That's a very different job than working in an art gallery. Mm. And working for an artist is different than working for a museum. Or, 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 and in, in the art handling world, you're going to have trucking companies that move the art back and forth. Or you're going to be first or second in command at an art gallery. Or you'll be a freelancer working a little bit in the truck, a little bit in the back of the gallery, maybe one day, or whenever a museum sets up a show every now and then, you'll, you'll do like a freelance for a setup at a museum. Uh, it all comes down to the fact that you're the guy, on average, basic art learners, he's moving the art from the truck mm. out of the crate onto the wall, onto un- the wall. unwrapping it, and vice versa, you can wrap it up, put it back in the crate. In now, charge you, of presentation, in a sense, but, but not... You, you work with a curator at a museum. Right, right. You know, okay. But... You know, sometimes you know, some galleries, they'll, they rarely ask the art handler, what do you think? But, I mean, if it's a small gallery, of course they're going to, you know, you just put it up. But then, then you, as you move up the ladder <laughs> in art handling, uh, you'll go from the truck, you know, into the gallery, and from the gallery into, like, assistant manager, into, like, into manager, you'll be that freelance oh, guy. Mm. Some people like being freelance because it gives them such a variety of, they can do their own thing, but then they're always hustling. Some people love the hustle. Mm. You can make a lot of money and you don't get taxed. <clears throat> I mean, uh, yeah. No, but uh, but then like me, you'll 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 go into the gallery and you'll start getting jobs that are yeah. more full time or part time. It's nice to have steady pay. Yeah, sure. I mean, I made more money when I was hustling. Yeah. Yeah, but and it was never the same job twice, except those you know jobs you get once every two months in the same gallery once a month. But it was it was fun. You meet a lot of people, but it's tiring. Yeah. Yeah, and you go on vacation, you find out that they hired somebody else. Mm. You know? So you gotta you gotta learn the you know the slow times uh, when the art fairs go. Art fairs are a big job. That was the hardest day I ever worked in my life. I had no idea what that was working for a trucking company at, at Art Basel. Hmm. I had, you know it's a three day in three day out kind of thing. Wow! And it was a lot of work. Yeah, it was yeah, I hurt my moving. ankle. Oh, really? I, I really pushed myself too hard on the first day. Hmm. I didn't know how much hard work that was. Long days of hard work. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Just this constant setting up, the taking down. The well, I, as locations. I mentioned in the other interview, it, you learn this thing called the art world. You learn about the ground floor, mm. and you. And I said this in the other interview, it's, but it's true. You learn. There's nothing in grad school that you can learn. All this practical shit. Even take these practical cl- courses seeing it happen, being there, understanding how it moves, understanding how it's bought and sold, which is like at the level I'm in now where I see it bought and sold and what's going on in the background there. That's 
you know, it's invalu- It's so valuable. You right. Know, you, 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 you can't go take that a course to in, learn that. In it's a sense, also here, yeah. shattering of any illusions. You, a lot of illusions. Mm, any romanticism of the industry. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's been a, you know, it was a, a pretty, pretty open guy. But man, I mean, it was a slowly watching the reality of it hit me. Mm. You know, it was like, oh, boy. Did I really need to go to art school? Did I really need, did I really need to get a master's degree? Uh, right. Sorry. You know, I would miss my friends. I'd miss the experience. You mm. know, and I did learn a lot. Mm. But I mean, like, none of the art theory. Again, I would be lying. I I don't think about art theory when I'm painting this sure. painting. Sure. Right. But You're of not course, supposed to in the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm mean, obviously I'm aware of all that stuff. Yeah. Now, could you do that without art school? Yes, you could have. But I was in Ohio. You know. Right. Yeah. So, plus it's, you know, there is some validation in, in it. You know, if you're trying to get a job elsewhere, you want to teach or something. Uh, the, the way I, I get the sense that you're talking about the art handling thing and what it gives you is, uh, it goes back to the idea of the game and it, it gives you an insight into the hidden rules of the game or the, the structure of the game. Uh, when you're an art handler, you're still out of the game. Right, right, yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. It's when you get a gallery, and then, then like you're, you're into the politics of buying and selling and the collectors. Mm. That's another game altogether. I see. Now you, if you don't know what you're looking for, you won't see it as an art handler. You, know, you just kind of see the artists and the work, and you kind of understand a little bit about it. But that other aspect you know, is, 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 is another game. Right, know? right, right. Yeah. But of course, <laughs> all that work being bought and sold is going to have to be moved and hung and shown and you know so that's where it kind of kind of happens hmm. you know, so you learn that bottom up but i mean that there's a there's a pretty big boundary between the art handler and the artist selling the work in the gallery is a it's the boundary all the art handlers are like that are artists are like uh, trying to punch that <laughs> bubble you know uh, right. break that ceiling well it's like right it's like the analogy of being a roadie Okay, yeah, there you one go. day wants to replace the lead yeah, guitarist like, of the yeah, band. Yeah, right? like when like, he's testing out the guitar, he's dreaming on stage for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, dude, I've been exploring this thought lately. It's probably not a healthy thought to explore, but um, it's the idea that, uh, man, it would have been so much easier to not be a born an artist or the, a creative, like, in terms of, uh, like, yeah. just... What well, is the artist curse? I guess was right. Would, the artist predicament. Would it be better to be a stockbroker or? A, uh, I mean, I don't know exactly what else. You could be a stockbroker and love that job. Maybe you love the challenge of it. Mm. You know. Uh, I don't. This kind of distinction is just a little bit too too. I mean, look. There are some people that are born into a family. A family job, you know, a family uh, uh, career. Right. You know, are they blessed or cursed or I don't know. The artist has its own set of of problems. Right. Right. I think the best thing for any artist, this is just my opinion, is how do you keep your? It's just like the candlestick problem. Mm. How do you keep your focus open, and how do you keep yourself, you know, not necessarily inspired, but because uh, inspiration is also troublesome. Sometimes sure. it's just hard work. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you got to make the energy to, leads to the inspiration. But being as realistic as possible, and being and understanding what you're doing, instead of running a hundred miles an hour and going five miles a day, you know, because you just burn your energy. 
in places that don't help you, you know, learning how to, to navigate by knowing, knowing what's going on in the art world. You know, mm. that's going to be the most important thing. Most people, they just go through these motions, they think that's what you're supposed to be doing, you know, but they waste a lot of energy mm. doing that because, mm. you know, just a little bit of energy in the right place. Showing your paintings 20 times in, in some galleries that don't last a year or two or in the wrong place, in the wrong hands and spending all the money and it doesn't pan out, you know, after a while you figure out that may, it's not what I need, be need to be focusing on right now. Mm. I mean, it just occurred to me, like, you know, in 2010, I was getting a lot of studio visits and I realized the only reason they're in here is because of the work. Mm. You, you make work that people will come. Right, right. You can play the game as hard as you want and meet all the people you think you need to be meeting. But at the end of the day, if the work isn't that good, you're looking at a limited time, even if you, you do get, you know, an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, growing up as an artist, is it hard? I think it's, I mean, probably as hard as anything else. I was going to so. say, everything is hard. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone's yeah, life, life, you know. Everyone's life is hard in a different way, different circumstances. And everyone also assumes everyone else has it easier yeah that's the problem we're yeah. very privileged for artists uh, the fact that this world exists as much as you're going to hate it it's full of shit like fashion's full of shit i'm sure the, you know we all know the music industry is full of problems right you know but i mean it's got its problems but we're lucky that there's even this structure is here and the the kind of how long it took to get something like this mm. the fact that as a culture we created this where there's even the possibility of going into a gallery for free. Hell, right. they even give you free alcohol. You know how rare that is? <laughs> you know, to going and looking at stuff and seeing people and looking at art. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, it doesn't mean the work's going to be any good. A lot of shit out there. Sure, it's sure. 90% sure. maybe. Maybe more. But the thing is, hey, we're lucky that the fact that I'm sitting in this room and there's paintings on the wall and it's, it's a Friday and I'm talking to you, you know, Sure. In a perfect world, I wouldn't want to go to, to work and I'd want to just make these paintings. But I mean, just like Solowit and the idea that there's these boundaries, I mean, there's going to have to be boundaries on your life. You know, mm. you, know you just can't be this wild idea of like what people have this idea of what Boss Scout must have been like or something. Nah, man, he's working hard. And he, had, <laughs> he was working hard. Yeah, yeah exactly. He was, was, was from working. a wealthy family. <laughs> oh, was he? Was he? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Really? But it's, it's like, it, it's. That helps. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, even if he didn't use it, but. Sure. You know, but he worked hard and he, I mean, that guy made so much work. Right. Very He's, prolific. I don't care how charming or funny he was. Apparently he wasn't that, that funny, but. Right. You know, he, he was Club 27, right? He, he was just worked hard. Right. He made so much work. In a short period of time, a very prolific amount of yeah, work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that led to his, I mean, sure, you can complain all you want about Basquiat's market. You mm. know, a lot of people made a lot of money for a long time on that. You mm. know. And there's a lot of that stuff going around. It wouldn't have been that way if he hadn't made so much good work. He made a lot of shit, like every other artist, you know, a yeah. lot of bad work. Yeah. But it, when the good ones are there, when you look at a good one, it took me a long time to really turn, come around to Bosca, a long time. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, it took me a long time to turn around to Picasso, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Now I look at that, I'm like, oh my God, this mm. guy's a genius. Mm. But yeah, you got to make a lot of work. We're lucky that we have time and place and a situation that there's even the possibility that you make a good painting, someone else is going to like it and pay you for it. Right, 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 right. Uh, so maybe a good way to bookend it mm. and come to some kind of conclusion for now, until next time, <laughs> would be um, if, you, if you could 
speak to your early college self or somebody in a similar position yeah. who had the aspirations that you did or currently still do, what advice would you give them? Oh my God. I know it's a bad one. It's a bad one. It's a heavy one. Well, because every time I think of something I'd want to say, I'd say, nah, nah, nah. Uh, I, I think the best any artist can do is just look at as much art as possible. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing worse than somebody thinking they've come up with something and then there's a lot of logical conclusions hmm. that are reached. You know, you see these kids in art school and they're kind of starting the process and, you know, it's already been done a hundred times and every logical conclusion from that thing is there, uh, that technique or that image or that, that focus. I'm about, I wish I could go back in time and save myself a lot of time and energy, although in theory, theoretically I needed to, to waste all that time before sure. I realized the importance of wasting, you know, not wasting time. But yeah, I would say, you know, look at as much art as possible. Hmm. Be critical as much as possible. Be as open as possible. If you hate something, if you really hate it, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. Loving something. Did you walk out of something hated so much you thought about it for three days? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. you know, you got, even if you never will like it, just ask yourself, why did you hate that so much? In a sense, uh, uh, that, that applies to other people too. If, if you can create something that other people hate, it's, it's just as important as creating something people love. Yeah. Slippery slope. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you got people just being crazy for the sake of being crazy and making bad art for the sake of making bad art, which is its own self. And it becomes another trope. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Shock value. <laughs> yeah, look at me, I'm shitting on something. Right, yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's not healthy. Yeah. For long-term relevance in the active field. Don't just make, make as much work as you can and be as open as you can. Don't be afraid to copy another artist for a while as well. Mm. Know what it feels like to make that art before you move on. Mm. You've got to do it. You got to work it out all out. To know other people's processes. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is you come into your first idea and you get a gallery, and then they expect you to kind of work in that realm, and then you, you find out that you you, you want to go somewhere else, you know, mm. or you know that you don't want to be pigeonholed. I think exploring as much as you can or as early on as possible, that is important. I'd tell any young student to do as much as they can. Mm. You know, learn as much, you know, know what it feels like to do all that stuff. That's the only redeemable quality of art school at this point. That it gives you a, a little box and time to do it. Mm. Is it worth getting $100,000 in debt? I'd probably say not at this point until, right. until there's reformation in, in our school system, in our right. student loan system. Mm. But, uh, yeah, if, you know, when I was in grad school, yeah, I didn't need to learn all that, you know, garbage. That it's real garbage. Some of the shit they teach you is garbage. Mm. Uh, I didn't need to learn it, uh, but it did get me in a room with a bunch of friends doing crazy stuff and making a lot of fun, you know, art and, and trying a lot of new things. So I'd say, yeah, that's what artists should do: do everything <laughs> <laughs> as much as you can. All right. Excellent. I think that's worthwhile advice to think about. Yeah. So uh, where can people check out your stuff so that oh, they can uh, give you a good Good look well, and a follow. Well, you know, just find me on, on the web, just clintonkingart.com. It's my website's pretty... <laughs> just find me on Instagram. It's usually where I post most stuff. Uh, my website. I realized, I, I, last thing I gave, I have a Tumblr. It's called Visionary Rumors. Visionary Rumors. Visionary Rumors. Ooh. That's the art. Like that. And the other one's called Ease Into Your Irrelevance. That's more of another older website. That's a Tumblr as well? Yeah. Ease yeah. Into Your Irrelevance? Yeah, which is also the name of my meme video for now. 
Perfect. But yeah, uh, <laughs> just a slight collection of art that I like, but my own art is just at clintonkingart.com, which I need to update. Yeah. Sure, but yeah. you also have an Instagram. Which Instagram, is Clinton King, King Clinton. Clinton King, is it Clinton King underscore King Clinton? Yeah, it's me, underscore King. Yeah. Clinton King yeah. underscore King Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Great. And so, yeah, I'll be in, uh, my wife and I, Julie Curtis, will be in Japan for October, November. We'll have a show in Tokyo, two shows in Tokyo coming up. So that'll be a pretty fruitful time. Hopefully cool. a lot of work will be made at that time. Yeah. It'll be right. smaller work. It'll be interesting. Just but because of space limitations? These, yeah, I can't make these big paintings mm. Yeah. Neat. A new phase. A new phase. Perhaps. Something definitely new will come out of it. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely. No doubt. No doubt. Well, thank you. All right. Thank for you. Coming over. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Until next time. Next time, man. Take care. And that's our conversation. We survived the heat wave. And I think we touched on a lot of great insights that I'll be ruminating on for a while. I hope you enjoyed it. After the mics turned off, we continued to talk about some esoteric subjects and Clinton demonstrated his brush technique and he started a new painting. So I could see the beginning of his process. You can see pictures of that on my website, mjdorian.com forward slash codex, C-O-D-E-X. You can also see more of Clinton's paintings there as well as on his website, clintonkingart.com that's c-l-i-n-t-o-n k-i-n-g-a-r-t dot com uh, side note later that day Clinton told me he spoke with a friend who actually knew Basquiat and he wanted to make a correction regarding his earlier statement so Basquiat was not from a wealthy family but rather a middle class family the next episode of Creative Codex We'll be back to the narrative format. I held a vote on my Instagram and people were nearly evenly matched in a battle between H.R. Geiger and Emily Dickinson, with H.R. Geiger edging out the POTUS by about 4%. Now, no worries, I really want to do both of them, so I will, and with Geiger going first, per the voting results. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from listeners who are enjoying both the narrative and the conversation episodes. So for now, I'll be alternating them, which also gives me more time to be thoughtful in curating both and to give the narrative episodes some due attention as they take a little longer to produce. If you'd like to show your support for the podcast, you can become a patron by visiting my Patreon page and see some exclusive content there, which is at patreon.com forward slash mjdorian that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash m-j-d-o-r-i-a-n I thank you for that and you can follow updates about the podcast and about my creative work at my Instagram at mjdorian until next time I thank you for your support and I'll leave you with those sweet sounds of East Williamsburg. <laughs>